Well, friends, you may have missed it, but this week was a week of a great upset. I'm not talking about any sporting upset. What happened in the NFL? What happened in the World Cup? Indeed, let us not dwell too long upon the World Cup this morning, <laughs> lest you want to see someone truly upset. <laughs> but rather, the great upset of this week was an upset in the English-speaking world, the world of English literature. For in December of every year, the powers that be in Oxford, England, decide upon the word of the year. A word in English which has attracted great interest, uh, which reflects the vibe of the English-speaking world. And in previous years, words like toxic and post-truth and selfie were have all won the award. And this year, there were two clear favorites, gaslighting and metaverse. And which would win 2022's uh, word of the year? Well, the answer, so the newspapers told me, it was neither. For the word that surprisingly burst into top spot to summarize where we are in society was the word goblin mode. Goblin mode. Which apparently is a word which captures the, the post-pandemic desire to often hide away from civil society and respectability and to live online in slothful and greedy isolation. And so perhaps... Uh, somewhat unfairly, the newspapers sought to capture goblin mode with a picture of some evil smiling 20-something, uh, some kind of Neanderthal from Generation Z, uh, hiding in their beds, earbuds in, laptops open, surrounded by empty Skittles packets and Diet Coke cans, the reflected glow of the Netflix series, the only light in the picture. Goblin mode. The act of shutting your ears to any kind of self-improvement, the act of hiding in the echo chamber of darkness, the act of living in utter and unapologetic selfishness, goblin mode. Well, I wonder if you have a goblin in your mind. I wonder whose picture you might have used uh, if you were a newspaper editor. Uh, but more honestly, what about you? Could, could the word of the year describe you? Do you sometimes live in goblin mode? And most importantly, when it comes to spiritual matters, is it then that you kind of enter that setting? And if so, if you know someone stuck in it and you long for them to come out of it, what is it that brings someone out of goblin mode? What brings someone out of the spiritual darkness? Well, in the next few weeks in the run-up to Christmas as a church, we're, we're looking at the first few verses of the Gospel of John. And, and, and John's Gospel is a first-hand eyewitness account of a Jewish fisherman named John who watched the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth uh, for three whole years. And last week we studied the opening uh, five verses and we discovered that the word of the year could never ever be attributed to Jesus. Indeed, we discovered that Jesus was the word and the very antonym of that word. For Jesus was not a goblin, but God himself. Verse 1, the word was God. And moreover, we learned that Jesus did not hide away from the world. But Jesus actually created the world. Verse 3, all things were made through him. And finally, we learned that, that Jesus could not live in the darkness because Jesus was the light Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. 
And so John's gospel does not start like, like kind of any modern story. No, John's gospel starts with, with true light versus true darkness. For John's gospel does not tell a kind of secular story of a, of a flawed hero, an imperfect kind of Batman character of gray, ministering in a world of moral ambiguity where, where bodies are just misunderstood. No, John tells the story of a protagonist of pure light, a light that so shines in this world of darkness that he gives life to all by his light. Indeed, Jesus is a light that is so bright. Look at verse five, that the darkness does not stand a chance against it. And so what do we expect next? As the opening credits of John's gospel roll, well, if he knew nothing of our world, we might expect to hear of a prologue of a world where darkness now no longer exists, where every man and woman has humbly kind of taken out the earbuds and has heard John's news about the light and so has crawled out of their goblin holes of selfishness and sin, having seen the, the, the divine light that shines in a world that is so often devoid of truth and morality. But that is not how John continues, is it? Another John in verse six, that is John the Baptist. He is sent to men and women, verse six, and he bears witness to the light, verse seven. And so the light is is highlighted and all sounds very hopeful. And yet verse 10 reads, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, his own people did not receive him. Shockingly, darkness was present and darkness is still present. Goblin mode is still a permanent setting for some such that the word of the year is as apt for year one as the year 2022. Accordingly, again, what brings someone into the light? What brings someone to see the Lord Jesus and so see the truth about the world and themselves? Indeed, if you are a Christian here this morning, do you ever wonder, what brought me out of darkness? Well, first point this morning and answer that question, it was not actually the power of the light. What brings someone out of the darkness, not the power of the light? As already said, given the opening few verses, we may expect that the the light is so powerful that that all are instantly just drawn out of the darkness. And yet over the course of John's gospel and and over the course of human history and, and over the course of our own experience, we know that that is not what happens. For some people did not, and some people do not know the light or receive the light. When it comes to Jesus, there's no kind of dimmer switch. Sadly, some are not Christians. Sadly, some have not received the light, at least yet. Sadly, some think that they've been enlightened by something else or someone else. Accordingly, if you're, if you're anything like me, there have been times when you have questioned at least for a little bit the power of the light. Times when you so wanted that, that, that friend or, or family member to see the, that the light of the Lord Jesus that you have wondered, could it be, could it be that the reason why that person that I so love has not been brought out of the darkness is because the light of men, verse one, is actually not as powerful these days not as powerful as when I bought it. When we purchased our home, uh, when we first moved to Nashville, I was delighted by the fact that it had a kind of mini attic at the top on the, on the left-hand side, for it was gonna be the perfect place for me to store uh, all my tools that I never really use. 
But when I got up there, I was disappointed to find uh, no light fitting at all. I noticed some kind of electrical cables kind of running around, but no holder for a light bulb and no socket to plug in a lamp. Uh, which with my DIY skills meant that um, pretty much the end of being able to see in the attic. But that was until, until I went for the first time in my life to Home Depot, something uh, which we don't have in England, and I saw something we don't have in England which was advertised as a battery-powered, motion-sensitive LED light, just $10 for a pack of two. And so excitedly I got one, and I stuck it up with some kind of double-sided tape, and I proudly presented my kind of DIY masterclass to my wife. <laughs> and friends, let me tell you, let me tell you that the light up there now is absolutely pitiful. <laughs> I mean, the day I got it, it had kind of all the power of a, of a solitary match. And now, well, it's, it's so dull, I can't even open the thing to put more batteries in it. So is that what Jesus was? Some overpromised novel $5 battery powered LED light. A light which gave light to, to, to a few unenlightened first century men and women in the Middle East who knew no better, but a light that cannot possibly draw people out of the darkness today with all the other amazing worldviewers on offer. Well, no. Because clearly, that the problem of the darkness has nothing to do with the power of the light. For our passage today, again, tells us that the light of Christ is immensely powerful. Jesus reveals a worldview that, that makes total sense of our world, for Jesus was the very maker of our world. Jesus was the divine light. Jesus was God himself. Verse 9, Jesus was the true light. And so John says to his readers, if you wanted to see the, the author of this world, you could have done so. And as you walk through these eyewitness accounts of John, that is exactly what people conclude. Indeed, in one of Jesus' first meetings in John chapter 3, Jesus meets one of the top academics of the day, and this scholar named Nicodemus uh, comes to him, uh, ironically, in the dark, and he does not say to Jesus, are you a light from God? No, rather, he instantly sees that Jesus is a light from God, because John chapter 2, verse 2, sorry, John chapter 3, verse 2, just look over the page, because no one could do these signs that you do. No one could break the, the laws of this world unless God, the very maker of the world, was with him. Jesus was and is quite literally the true light. Indeed, John, throughout his gospel, just like the writer of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, cries, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Look at Jesus you will see the divine true light, see God, cloaked only by human skin. You know, sometimes I'll be talking to an unbeliever and they'll scoff and they'll say to me, where's this God then? Where's this God? I haven't seen him. And I normally reply, well, not only is God's existence plain, from the beauty of creation, from cell to sea to star, but if we'd been born at the right time, you and I could have seen God. For the light came into the world as the true light. Verse 9. For Jesus, though he was veiled in human flesh, revealed himself to be quite clearly the maker of this world. Verse 10. So there's nothing wrong with the power of the light in terms of its intensity, in terms of its trueness. And nor is there any problem with the power of the light in terms of its, its luminance, its, its spread. For look again at verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. 
So not only was Jesus not just this this cheap-powered, battery-powered LED, but also Jesus was not a laser either, meaning Jesus was not just a kind of powerful beam of light seen only by those who happened to be in his pathway. For from the minute Jesus arrives, his, his light goes global. Angels fill the sky, shepherds shout, prophets see that the light of Jesus was not hidden in, in a jungle like a jewel. The light of Jesus was not buried on some kind of remote desert island like some gold. Jesus was born in the geometric center of the earth's land surfaces so that as many people could see him and so as many people could hear about him as soon as possible. Indeed, Jesus lived in view of the whole world. Indeed, when Jesus arrives on earth, he audaciously says, John chapter 12, I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in the darkness. And when he goes from the earth, he tells, in fact, he commands those who saw in Matthew 10, what I told you in the dark, say in the light, what you heard whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And so his followers have been taking the wonderful news of his light to the darkest corners of the globe ever since, such there is barely a square mile on earth today where the light of the gospel has not touched at some point. For Jesus is the light who gives light to everyone. And so we must conclude that the problem of, of goblin mode has nothing to do with the power of the light, but rather the persistence of those determined to live in the darkness. I love how J.C. Ryle, uh, the Bishop of Liverpool in England in the 1800s put it, he said this, Christ is to the souls of men what the sun is to the world. He is the center and source of all spiritual light, warmth, life, health, growth, and beauty. And like the sun, He shines for the common benefit of all mankind, for high and for low, for rich and for poor, for Jew and for Greek. And so like the sun, he is free to all. All may look at him and drink health out of his light. And if millions of mankind were mad enough to dwell in caves underground, their darkness would be their own fault and not the fault of the sun. So likewise, if millions of men and women Love spiritual darkness rather than the light. The blame must be laid on them and not Christ. What brings someone out of the darkness? Not not the power of the light, but the light is plenty powerful enough. And yet it will not bring them out of the darkness if they are determined to live in goblin mode and to forever close the curtains on Christ. Friend, is that you? Is that you? But secondly, nor is it the proximity to the light which brings someone out of the darkness. What is it that brings someone out of the darkness? Point two, not the proximity to the light, point two. When it comes to accepting Jesus, there's, there's, a, there's a kind of temptation, isn't there, to think, well, well, if I'd have been there, I'd have really believed. To think, if, if I didn't have Jesus on Bible but on Blu-ray, that then, then what a Christian I'd be. To think if I'd been born in the first century, I would have been out of my goblin hole in a flash. To think if I'd been born in Jerusalem, maybe, or if I'd been one of Jesus' own disciples, if I'd been close enough to to have actually heard one of Jesus' sermons, or to have embraced Jesus with a hug, I, I, I I would live in the light. But it did not work like that, did it? For in verses 
10 and 11, we're told that proximity was not the key to coming out of the darkness. For verse 10, look with me. Those who lived in the world, those who lived in the world when Jesus lived in the world did not know him. In fact, verse 11, even those who were his own people did not receive him. Friends, what heartbreaking verses these are. For Jesus' coming should have been like some kind of homecoming. It should have been like the, the, the veteran re- returning home from war, returning to his hometown at Christmas time, uh, returning to his family, t- turning up at the doorstep just in time for the presents, returning to his own wife and his young children. And yet the people who lived in the world at the time and the people who belonged to his very own people group shut the curtains on him and they leave him out in the cold. And even in these first moments of arrival, as we celebrate this time of year, there was no room for Jesus in his hometown. And whilst his mother gave birth to him in a stable, that the king of his own people plots his murder even as a helpless baby. And when? And when he was finally murdered by his own people, it was the ones who lived in the very closest proximity to him, who heard his every sermon given, who watched his every life-giving miracle, who became the very prototype of verse 11. His own followers failed to know him and they failed to receive him. Indeed, right at the end of John's gospel, you might remember, John specifically zooms in on one disciple, Thomas, who saw Jesus every day for years and years, who lived in the closest proximity to him. And yet what does Thomas say, even after Jesus rose? He says, unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I'll never come out of the darkness. I'll never come out of my goblin mode. I will never receive him. Eight days later, Thomas gets his wish of proximity. He sees the nail marks. He puts his finger in Jesus' side. But Jesus says to him, have you believed me because you've seen me? Blessed, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Can you see when it comes to to climbing out of the darkness, to, to seeing Jesus and accepting Jesus for who he is, it is not about physical proximity. And yet how often throughout human history have people thought that? Indeed, how often do people even today think that to be the case? That receiving Jesus is granted by some sort of proximity. Indeed, no wonder John is at pains to debunk this idea yet again in verse 13. For there John explains that one comes into the light not by natural means but by supernatural means. For John says one comes out of the darkness by rebirth. For who are the children of God? How does one come out of the darkness? How is the selfishness and ignorance of goblin mode broken? Verse 13, people are born into the light, not, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Can you see three things there? Three things which all burst the notion that some kind of physical proximity to Jesus is the key for coming out of the darkness. Let's look at each in turn. Verse 13. Firstly, not of blood. People do not come out of the darkness on basis of kind of genetic proximity, where they were born or or who they were born to. Uh, Rather shockingly, John says to his original readers, people do not come out of the darkness because they are, are Jews like Jesus or because they were born in Israel like Jesus. 
For, for this is the radical difference between the Old Testament and the New. If you were born uh, in the Old Testament era, you were born into the, the covenant community of God. That The Old Covenant established a, a national people. If mum and dad were Israelites, you were an Israelite. That The Old Covenant established God's people by birth, but the New Covenant establishes a people by new birth. That, that is why Jesus outrageously says to the aforementioned Nicodemus that the rule of the Jews and, and a man of the, of the bluest Jewish blood. John chapter three, verse three. Just look over to John chapter three again. John chapter three, verse three. Truly, truly, I tell you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And when Nicodemus doesn't get it, because he's thinking all those proximity terms, Jesus has to repeat himself again in verse five, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so can you see, friends, how that might apply to us? I hope you can see it quite plainly. For it tells us that you are not a Christian because of who you were born to. You are not a Christian here this morning because you are an American or because you were born in the southern states or because you were born in the western world. You are not a Christian because you prefer in God we trust on your Tennessee license plate or equate Christianity with some kind of political heritage that you have. You are not a Christian because your grandparents went to this church or because you pop your head in at Christmas time. Indeed, if you're a young child here this morning, listen very carefully to this. You are not a Christian because your parents are involved in this church, because your mum is a deacon, or because your dad is an elder. You're not a Christian because you were dedicated, or you were christened as a baby. And as Edgefield Church, Edgefield Church, can you see, can you see the great disservice, and actually the potential damage we do to people if we confuse those two things. You can see how unloving it is to say or, or to hint at the idea that, that your name or status or lineage or nationality brings about some kind of spiritual birth. If we communicate to those sadly lost in the darkness that they are in the light because they were just born into the light because of what their parents believed or who their parents were. Friends, that's why we don't baptize babies here. We love our gospel-preaching Presbyterian friends, but babies are not born again with the Holy Spirit. And so we don't want people to be confused about where they stand with the Lord. Likewise, that's why we don't have an American flag on the stage. It's not because we don't deeply appreciate veterans. We really do. We honor them. We love them. We pray for them. But we don't want to communicate that the P God's people are a national people because God's people are now an international people. Indeed, we want to make it, make it clear that we have more in common with those who have the Holy Spirit, like Luis Carrillo from Spain, and Fernando Munoz from Guatemala, and Amy Shepherd from England, than we do with those who don't have the Holy Spirit but grew up in the same zip code as us. For we are not born to the light by our blood. We are not born and brought in, out of the darkness by, by our heritage. But also notice secondly in verse 13 that the people are, are not brought out of the darkness by the will of the flesh either. Which is a strange line, so what does it mean? Well, it means that we did not emerge from the dark because we naturally wanted to. 
because we were in physical proximity to some kind of uh, religious idea that we liked or or certain kind of moral actions that, that we practiced. No, no, the Bible tells us that not only... Not only were we born in goblin mode, born with this innate desire to be selfish, but that we are all born with an innate desire to stay in the darkness, to kind of shut the curtains on King Jesus. And so from an earthly standpoint, you and I may not look much like goblins. Indeed, from an earthly standpoint, your life may reflect the opposite of goblin mode. Your life might be the life of some kind of Instagrammable goddess. You don't watch Netflix in bed. You normally found out socializing at the gym. You don't eat Skittles and Diet Coke. You eat salad and drink 10 liters of water a day. You're not obviously lazy or selfish. You're known in the office as being the first one there and known for being the most hardworking of parents. But the Bible, the Bible is the most humbling book in the world. For the Bible is a book that absolutely crushes our pride. For it sees through that Instagrammable version of ourselves. And it asks us whether we have actually shut the door on King Jesus because really we want to rule our own lives. That the Bible is a book that pictures people, people just like me, not as the fireflies of summer, but as the cockroaches of winter. People who naturally scuttle away from the light. And if you think that description sounds far too harsh, then just listen to the most loving man in all the world. John 3 again, Jesus said, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You know, these days, actually many people do not disagree with that. Indeed, goblin mode in many circles today is actually seen as some kind of aspirational word. For goblin mode is all about being our our selfish selves, not being ashamed of doing what we want to do, not bowing to the pressures of, of morality or social media respectability, not having to serve other people if we just don't feel like doing so. Indeed, one journalist in March, when Goblin Mode first started to become popular, said this, he said, Goblin Mode embraces the comforts of depravity. Goblin Mode embraces the comforts of depravity. In our society today, uh, there is strangely an increasing honesty and acceptance that we're kind of all selfish. And that pretending that we are people of the light, well, that's just an exhausting pretense. And so to summarize, can you see, we're not, we're not born into the light, and we do not bring our, ourselves into the light. And thirdly, from verse 13, no person can bring us into the light. Verse 13 in full, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Now, I don't want to spend too long here for obvious reasons, but can you see that, that John effectively says that, that making a Christian is not like making a baby. It's not about parental planning of mum and dad. Has, uh, is not to do with the passion or the desire of the parents. It has nothing to do with the will of man. Friends, isn't that so humbling? That's so humbling. The idea that we, we, we can't make anybody a Christian. Indeed, isn't that so humbling, particularly if you are a Christian parent here this morning? Indeed, doesn't that just kill stone dead competitive Christian parenting? And any notion that you can provide this kind of perfect environment such that your child will become a Christian most certainly. Now you may desire 
for your child to become a Christian more than anything. I hope you do. And you may do everything you can to see that child whom you love dearly come out of the darkness and into the light. But, but parents, you cannot make that happen. You can pray for them whilst they're in the womb. And you can read them the Advent story every year and you can drop them off with our, with our wonderful Sunday school teachers and, and you can put the parental settings on the laptop and you can surround them with lots of other Christians their age and you can even send them to a Christian college. And none of these things are necessarily bad, but none of them will ensure their salvation. None of them. I love how the writer Anne Benton puts it. For encouraging Christian parents to be both active and also accepting when it comes to their child coming to faith, she writes this. If you've understood the gospel at all, your desire above everything else is that your home is a house of salvation. But wise parents will know to treat all these manifestations of gospel responses or lack of them in a very measured way. For only God truly knows what is going on in the heart. So don't go poking around the roots but regularly attend the soil. Keep it moist and nourishing and wait for the harvest. Friends, when I first read these verses on Monday afternoon, I immediately put on my shoes and I went out for a walk to pray for my children because I was reminded of the fact that their salvation is not based upon my will. I want all my family I want all my family to come into the light. I want all my friends to come into the light of Christ. I want all you who sit here today, but do not yet believe. I long for you to come into the light this very morning to see that this worldview is a worldview that does make sense of our world, to see that, that all of us are actually all selfish and we're all in need of saving, to see that Jesus is the most precious and beautiful of gifts, to see that Jesus is the one who saves from God's wrath and has died for our sin to bring us into the light of heaven at the end, to see that Jesus is the Lord too and that he must be followed and submitted to in every area. But I can't do it. No exposition, no application, no illustration, no alliteration can do it. Because what brings someone out of the darkness? Not the power of the light, powerful though it is. Not the proximity to the light. But thirdly and wonderfully, the passion of the light. What brings someone out of the darkness? The passion of the light. Whose will is critical in these verses? Whose will is critical when it comes to salvation, answer God's. Look again at verse 13. Born not of human blood or flesh or will, but God's. Who calls goblins like us? Goblins like you and me from the darkness. Who, who lovingly wakes up those who slumber on and on in caves of selfishness? Who brings the stubborn into the light? that they might see Christ, the true light, and see all things by his light. Who gives the right to become children of God? It is the Father himself. It is all God and is not us. In fact, the phrase gave the right to be it is actually a kind of military phrase there. It is the authoritative command of the general. It's the kind of famous Uncle Sam poster. I, I want you for the U.S. Army. God says, I want you to come out of the shadows and I want you to put on the uniform of light. 
Accordingly, when it, when it comes to, to being in the light, Christians, Christians are not to be cocky, and yet they are to be very confident people. Christians know that they have not unearthed themselves. They did not sign themselves up for the light. In fact, they were enemies of the light, belonging to the armies of darkness with goblin parents of the world and goblin knowledge of the world and goblin tendencies in the world and goblin desires to be like the world. And yet Christians know that they have been called out of darkness authoritatively by God himself. For when God calls us, that there is an irresistibility about it. We come to be children of God by the very command of God. And yet, as we also think about that, that, that image of family that John presents for us, um, becoming a child, that there is something about verse 13 which not only gives us great confidence, but also, I think, great comfort. For, for the will or passion of God, it is not only in the, in the context there, the passion and will of a, of a military commander, but also the passion will of a loving father. Friend, if you're a Christian, a child of God, then it was God who willed that you might be in his family. Now, I've no idea why God would want a goblin like you in the same way I've no idea why God would want a goblin like me. And yet your new life is a testament to his love. Friend, if you are a Christian, it was out of his deep passion that God chose you to be delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred to the, the kingdom of his son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, Colossians 1. He had a passion for your spiritual birth and as your father, he, has, he is one who has signed the adoption papers already. He has willed that you would be here this morning that you would be here again to, to contemplate his free mercy and that you would rejoice once more in his light, that you would sing amazing grace for another Sunday. You know, sometimes I, I meet people and they say to me, well, I don't think God would want me to be in his family. You don't know what I'm like. You don't know what I've done. I'm the very personification of goblin mode. And in a sense, you're, you're absolutely right. And yet wonderfully God chooses goblins and it is his choice alone. He reaches down into the very pit of our selfishness and he drags us out of our evil slumber and into the true light of Christ. Beautifully, that is how someone comes out of the darkness. The second major point for us this morning, far, far more briefly, just in the last few minutes, what happens when someone is in the light? What happens when someone is in the light? Well, if we quickly look at verse 12, we, we, we see that, 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 that living in the light comprises of two things. And the first of these is believing. What happens when someone is in the light? Uh, they believe, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. So Christians do not have anything to do with, with, with their birth, but as soon as Christians have, have come into the light, they, they see and they instantly believe that that is they trust in the name of Jesus. And so practically, very practically, what does this mean to, to believe in the name? Indeed, for any 
here who, who may be beginning to see the light right now, who are starting to understand who Jesus is and, and, and what he came to do, what would it mean for you to leave here believing this morning? Well, believing simply means uh, essentially living out what you now see to be true. Accordingly, it means an acceptance of the true light, a persuasion that, that Jesus' teaching is true, that sadly, you and I are indeed selfish goblins, that, that we have often hidden away in, in the darkness, away from God and away from his beautiful commands, and yet that Jesus, that the very light of God has died for such sin. But as well as an acceptance of that true light, it also means living in that true light. Now, some of us remember, we remember well the moment of our salvation. Some of us, just like me, remember coming out of the darkness almost like a train kind of bursting through the tunnel. Others remember something far slower. Uh, recently, Ashley Davis described it to me as, as, a, as a gradual light of dawn on a winter's day. Belief is standing in the true light at some point. But belief is not just a kind of one-time moment of standing in the light, a one-time moment of enlightenment. Belief is not coming out into the light of the sun and then kind of returning to the goblin hole thinking that, that Jesus can just be some kind of nightlight who helps you in the dark. Belief is something that is, that is ongoing. It is walking in the light now as he is in the light. It is an active removal of dirt from, from that old goblin hole. It is being who we gloriously now are, children of the day, people who trust Jesus as the true light, the savior from all darkness and also the Lord of all light. What happens when someone is in the light? They believe. But very, very finally this morning, what else are we to do? What, what else marks us out as people of the light? Well, all those who have the right to become children of God, well, they come as children to God. What happens when someone is in the light? They, they become the children of God, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Friends, when we are gently awoken by our heavenly father, the Father does not just kind of let us get on with it once we've been enlightened, once we've um, had some kind of intellectual agreement uh, about our previous darkness and the truth of his light. No, no, having, having woken us up, as a loving parent does, he gives us the right to himself. And that's so important. For, for like a little baby being woken up from sleep. When we wake up spiritually, then we, we often wail instantly. When we wake up from, from sleep, we, we cry. We, we want to be changed by him. We want to be held by him. We want to be fed by him. And then John Bunyan, the man who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, when he preached this passage, said this. He said, you that are called born of God and Christians... If you not be criers, there is no spiritual life in you. If you are born of God, you are crying ones. For as soon as he has raised you up out of the dark, dungeon of your sin, you cannot help but cry to God. And wonderfully, that is just what God does. He gives us that right to become children, to go to him, 
and we sin and we fall and we fail, to be changed by the Holy Spirit, to be held by him when we are fearful and anxious about whatever this next week or year holds, to be fed by him as we grow to see that the cost of, of living sacrificially uh, as children of the light, as we read his word, and as we pray to him. Friends, what a wonderful, wonderful heavenly father we have. Let's go to him now in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God and heavenly father, we, we thank you and praise you for your dear son. We thank you and praise you for the true light. And Father, we thank you that your Son clearly reveals to us who you are, who we are. We thank you that we don't have to guess about what you're like, about what we're like. Father, we thank you that your Son is the, is the radiance of your glory and the exact representation of your being. And so, Father, we confess our darkness again this morning, uh, a spiritual goblin-like mode. We confess that we were once in the dark. We confess that we once loved the dark. And we confess at times that there are still moments of darkness in us. Please help us to be in the light, to be who we are. And, Father, we also confess a deep pride. Father, we confess that we sometimes equate light with some kind of spiritual heritage given or some works done by us rather than Christ. And so, Father, we confess in our darkness this morning that, that nothing could have saved us. Nothing could have brought us into the light. And so we thank you and we praise you for your mercy. We thank you that in your love, in your passion, that for some reason you did that. We thank you for this new birth that we have through your son, through your spirit, into your people. And so would you help us, please, to keep believing in Christ? And would you help us to keep drawing near to you? Because we have that right wonderfully as your children. And Father, for any who do not know you here this morning, may you give them the right to become your children May they act upon all these truths for your glory and their good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.